0: You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Well, hello and welcome to season four, episode 15 of The Outspoken Bible. I am Fiona Stewart. I'm here with Jen Robertson. Hello. Hi. And Neil Glover. Hello. 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 Lovely to see you both. Now, there's no correspondence this week, other than the fact that there was a cry from our good friend Dot Getliff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Dot you told a story about recently, Neil. Um, and she was asking when we'd be starting again. Now, because of the time-travelling wonder of the podcast world, basically we are already back, and hopefully she's already oh, here. Yeah, we are back. So <laughs> can't really <laughs> comment into that. But Dot I hope that you're already enjoying the streamlined 50 minute last episode that we did. Um, But thank you for getting in touch anyway. And don't forget, anyone else, you can do that. You can get a shout out (laughs) or you can choose not to have a shout out. You know, we're very, very open to either way. Um, You can stay anonymous if you want to. And you can do that by emailing outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org or, of course, contacting us via social media. Although, Neil, we've not to contact you via social media because you're trying to stay off it. Is that right? Uh, you've got you've got an app that stops you being distracted?
1: Oh, I'm just trying to stay off my phone, full stop. <laughs> uh, I've got an app called Forest, uh, which I'd recommend, although you think it's too costly. Um,
0: well, I mean, I'm, I mean, to be honest, I, I would rather not pay the £3.49 and just put a plant on my desk that I can £3 look
1: at. £3.49, well spent, keeps me <laughs> off my phone.
0: <laughs> anyway, lovely to see you both. Um, now, I think you've both been up to quite exciting things. Jen, you've been getting prepared for... Going to South America? Going to Bolivia? Yeah, that's
2: all. That's all. uh, Building up. Um, Got a a puffer jacket to pack away from La Paz because it'll be very cold. And uh, had various uh, vaccinations. So had one yesterday. Feeling okay today. Pray that stays that way. Yeah, twenty five days to go. It's a live vaccine. That you. It's a live vaccine. Oh gosh! And uh, how's your Spanish going? Yeah, I feel I've kind of faltered a wee bit there. I mean I enjoyed learning it, and I, I still know a few words but I'm just leaning back on the knowledge that Andrew will be there who's a fluent sp- Spanish speaker so it'll be okay and in fact this passage that we're going to chat, chat about made me think about that a lot that you know, we're going somewhere that's very strange to us but we're going with someone who's been there before yeah <laughs> exactly. oh, the best good. way to travel
0: that's very good that's excellent <laughs> very good and Neil you've been gallivanting again I think I've,
1: or you been holiday? I'm, I'm almost slightly embarrassed to confess my summer. I feel I've been too many places. <laughs> Particularly, so, sorry, Jenna. I I feel this less with you because you're about to go off to Bolivia. But but poor you, Fiona. I think you had a holiday at the start, and then you didn't. And I felt like I was, yeah.
0: Well, well, no, actually, I I mean, I I spent a good chunk of July not in Glasgow. To be honest, yeah. so. oh, did you? I think up yeah, I'm, I'm doing all right really. But yes. I, I have found August quite a struggle. I have to say I've been I've been trying to work nobody else seems to be back at work. No, yet, I did so. feel
1: that you were <laughs> I don't know, drudgery was the word that came to my head.
0: It's it felt like drudgery to me. And be honest, house yeah. arrest. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, absolutely. Now, um, obviously, Jen, when you're away, we will miss you. But we have found somebody to take your place for a few weeks mm. when you're away, um, and she's somebody who's well known to us certainly, and she might well be uh, known to some of our listeners. So, Jill Leith is care for fab care. Oh, I can't say that care for the family. I can't say it care for the families. Scotland representative. That's like mm-hmm. a warm up for your tongue um so jill i actually read a little bit of bio online about jill uh, (laughs) this week she is passionate about seeing family life strengthened and equipping churches to support families in their congregations and communities and her particular interest is in speaking about mental health through her own experience of living with it and reducing stigma around it i didn't read this on the internet but i've said it before i'll say it again i still think jill (laughs) is one of the best communicators i know so yep. that's something to look forward to. Not that you're not a good communicator, Jen, but...
2: And Jill, I've known Jill since she was a baby. Mm. And uh, she was part of my home church and she was in the children's groups and youth group when I was leading these things. So it's a great, what a joy to see her doing what she's doing.
1: Talk, talking of good communicators, I did have someone come up to me this summer after I'd done a talk and said, you're almost as good as Lady Jen from SBS. So, you know, <laughs> Jen's one of the best communicators.
2: Oh, Lady Jen. <laughs> That is brilliant.
0: (laughs) Well, I mean, just wait till you meet Jill now. Yeah. I feel like Jed's (laughs) good. I'm really building it up. So let's get started. So today we're talking about John chapter 14, and that is on page 45 of Light and Life Gospel, if you're using that. Now, it is a chapter with a trio of big questions, a trifled description of Jesus, and a tranche of Trinitarian truth. Oh my goodness.
1: <laughs> can you say that again, please?
0: Yeah, maybe. I don't know if I can actually. It, it's a chapter with a trio of big questions, a trifled description of Jesus, and a tranche of Trinitarian truth.
1: Wow! Yep. Excellent. What are the three questions? Oh, they come from the
0: disciples. Three, di- three different oh, big goodness. questions from the disciples: So Thomas, Philip, and Judas. 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 No, Judas, is Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. Yeah. Nice. I know, lots of threes. So before this trio gets involved into conversation about all of that, uh, Neil, are you going to give us a
1: Glover's Off? Glover's Off today is about braces because someone very close to me has just had their braces removed after about two years. And it's such a feeling. When I was between the ages of 14 and 17, I wore braces Uh, And this is in the early days of orthodontistry, where um, I had to wear, um, I didn't just have, people used to talk about railway tracks, you had retainers, then you had railway tracks, I had the next read up from railway tracks, which were these bands that went round my teeth. And they were so sore. They used to scratch the inside of my gums. When you had them tightened for the first two days, you couldn't eat anything. I even had to wear a thing called headgear, which I wore at night. And this was this big wire thing that came out of my mouth and held the thing in position. And I hated these things. And probably more than anything, I hated the appearance of them. I, I felt like I had just these huge, ugly bands of metal in my mouth and that they would just put anybody off who I ever spoke to. It was it was horrible, and I hated them. And these things, particularly because I was particularly vulnerable, you know, that age fourteen to seventeen, um, they they made a huge impression of, on me. I'll always remember. Um, there was quite a period of time I had to wear elastic bands, and I had to. It was on my lower jaw back, uh, and then my upper uh, teeth front. And I had misheard the instructions, and I had worn them the wrong way around for three months. And I'll I'll never forget going to the appointment and then looking and going oh, what's gone wrong here? (gasps) And then they said, we were about to take these off today and now you've got to have them for another six months. I was devastated. But I'll never forget the day I had them taken off. It was the most wonderful day. It felt like some kind of prison sentence was over. Um, It felt, it just felt liberated. I felt clean. I felt whole. Just felt some kind of awful ordeal was, was over. And I think for the person who's got their braces off today, I'm just thinking of that sense of euphoria. And when the Bible talks about salvation, it sometimes says we were like those who dreamed dreams, we were like those who laughed laughter. I think salvation, when we fully understand it, is like the feeling I had the day that my braces came off.
0: <laughs> Lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, and we might come back to talking about that because we're going to talk a little later on about, about conversion, aren't we? They've oh, yeah, mostly. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we're all we're setting everything up with our stories
2: today. I never had braces, did you, Jen? Oh, yes. Did you? Even longer ago than Neil. <laughs> <Did you? laughs> so, there were like those kind of plastic things that just stuck in and you could take them in and out, oh, was like
1: yeah.
2: a a, pa- a, pl- a pallet kind of thing. Yeah. And retainers. I could, my, well, I don't know. When retainers, they were just that's the way braces were. And yeah. it, the worst thing was at 13 my speech being affected so mm. I, I mean i didn't like speaking anyway at 13 to anybody so knowing that if i did speak it was going to sound all wrong and then finding it so hard to eat and swallow but then it did get better um i don't think they did my teeth are very squinted it didn't do any good it's mm. not a very good story <laughs> it's so long ago i mean the ones now do work you know they, yeah, they work yeah. the ones oh, i had didn't really make much
1: difference yeah i mean the 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 appointments that the person who I'm referring to has, they're they're five or six minutes. You know, I wow. spent hours in that chair. I can still remember the Thorn EMI arc lamp that was above me. <laughs>
0: Blimey! Right. Well, I, I, you know, I, we've not even talked about the Bible yet, but I think my <laughs> takeaway is going to have fresh. Is going to be to have fresh sympathy for people who have to wear braces gosh thank you for that um now we are talking about john 14 so as i said that's on page 45 of the light and life gospel and um, it begins with this a uh, beautiful phrase doesn't it from mm. jesus do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in god believe also in me and then he goes on to talk about his father's house jen you you have you were telling us
2: before we started a, a yeah. really poignant story actually about, yeah, I, about I, I, the power of those verses. Yeah. I can never read those words without being taken back to quite a long time ago when I was with a friend who was dying and um she had the illness that she had had made her nonverbal she couldn't speak and it was so long ago that the only way she could communicate with us was with a an alphabet card and so she would blink we would point at the letters and she would blink um when it was a letter that she wanted so it was, imagine it's a long laborious way of communicating but she was still able to communicate which was good uh, and one day I was sitting with her and she said um, through this process you know what's going to happen what happens when you die uh, where am I going to go Um now I wasn't prepared for this I hadn't planned it but these words came to my into my head and I just read you know do lo- not do not let your hearts be troubled you believe in God believe also in me my father's house has many rooms if that were not so would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you maybe they have got that bit wrong um and I said those words to her and she's just started to cry now I, I don't remember a response of, of her saying any words making any words to, to respond to that but in that that moment of going from life to death I know, and on into eternity you know those words were just so poignant and true and the as I said at the start, about us going to Bolivia with Andrew, that sense that Jesus is Jesus has gone the way we are going, and He'll take us eh, to His Father's house where there's lots of space.
0: Yeah, and I, I mean, and Neil, in, in your in your role, you must use this. I'm, using is the wrong word, isn't it? But you must find power for people in these words.
1: Yeah, I read this quite often at funerals, and. One of the reasons I find Jen's story very moving is because even though there was no words, there were no specific words said, there wasn't some kind of credo confession, there was a very strong sense that the, the person believed. Because if you're moved by these words, particularly at the stage of life this person was, and of course you've believed, that there seems to be some sense that you have entered into them, you trust them. And for me, that's what faith Believes this. Is, this is a long discussion. Um, does faith require assent to a set of truths, or is it a, a, a belief in a person? In, in Latin, mm. that's sometimes called fides qua and fides quo. Um, but the, for me, fundamentally, it's about belief in a person, and that and and that feels to me as to what was happening in that conversation with Jen. I'd even go so far as to mm. say I wondered if Jen was Jesus in some deeper sense. To to that person, if we believe that Jesus mm. is in us, and I think at funerals, the reason I can hold on to it is I just hope that there is that almost wordless sense of trust in Christ when those words are are read. Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't want to jump too quickly onto um, Jesus, I am statement, but it feels like there's a there's a there's a segue into that as well, isn't there? Into how that that phrase, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, perhaps has been misused. Mm-hmm. As a as a dividing line.
1: Yeah. And how it's been taught sometimes. It, it's sometimes whereas Yeah, it's sometimes taught, isn't it? Like I've come to found a new religion, unless you sign up to that religion, you're not going to heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, now I do believe there is an exclusivity in these claims, but I think I think when Jesus is talking about it, the way he is saying, I embody the deepest truth of reality, which is about. And the deepest truth of reality is that we are made for god mm-hmm. and that that jesus is the one who, who draws us into that and that well we talked to we had this really interesting discussion before we came on here about lord of the rings and narnia and <laughs> how there was there's something deeply truthful about those stories even though they happen in a fantasy land there's they almost get to the truth of all being, which is that we were made for something big. And certainly in Narnia, we were we were made for Aslan. We were made to be Aslan's children. And what I think Jesus is getting at, or not getting at, sounds so, I don't know, reductive, doesn't it? Um, mm-hmm. What Jesus is pointing us towards is the one that he holds that deep way within him. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it is still total. I, I, I don't think there is any way to God other than through Christ but I do believe that we meet Christ in mystical ways sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, I I, I, I realize what, what I'm about to say here is controversial, but this is what the great evangelical teacher um, John Stott once speculated about, which was that he imagined that if um, the example he used was a Muslim was coming home from the mosque one day, and felt deeply that he was saved by grace and grace alone, and that this was done for him by Christ, then John Stott speculated that that was a moment at which someone was trusting in Christ. Mm -hmm. The great Indian uh, scholar uh, Panikkar talks about the hidden Christ of Hinduism. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that sometimes people will say that's patronising to suggest that that on other religions that that it's actually Christ, but I see no other way of reading these verses truthfully Mm -hmm. other than to see this great claim of Jesus jesus's great bold claim that i am the one mm-hmm. I, I hold all the movement towards yeah. god within me
0: uh, yeah and we and we have kind of gone on into, into yes. talking about verse 6 we'll come back to the the house of many mansions um in a bit so uh and that that was actually making me think about a story I had about, about neighbors who subsequently moved away, actually, but I had some Iraqi neighbors for a while, and I used to have very stumbling conversations with the, the mum of the house who had no English, and obviously I have very little Arabic, a lot less Arabic than you have Spanish, Jen. And, uh, but I remember her children saying to me at one point, um, you you know Jesus, don't you? you love Jesus, don't you? And I was like, yes, yes, I'm a Christian. And they said, oh, our mum loves Jesus too. Now, they were Shia, I think, and it, and within within she, that you know Jesus is held as a prophet, and I, I've reflected on that a lot. I used to pray a lot for that lady, and and I don't know, like you, Neil, saying I don't know, because you don't know what goes on in somebody's heart. You don't know how somebody uh, God has has interacted with somebody, and how much of of what they have grown up with, and uh, is yeah, where they encountered God within that. But I but I I kind of trust that lady into Jesus' hands, and that when when her daughter said to me. But our mom loves Jesus too. She wasn't. She wasn't a Christian. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't one of those situations where she was a secret Christian or anything. But it was to do with knowing Jesus.
2: No, know, and and yeah. And you've met, you mentioned Narnia, you and of course in the last battle, uh, there's one of the Telmarines who worships Tash, uh, who's not Aslan. It's another another god. But this Telmarine ends up in the New Narnia, which is the heaven once mm. Aslan has wrapped up Narnia, and they're all in the New Narnia, and there's lots of surprise because there's this Telmarine in the Nar in, Narn- in the New Narnia, but and he's with Aslan, but he he worshipped Tash, and Aslan says he he knew me in the truth of what he worshipped, so all that was given to Tash was given to me. Now there's a lot in that statement, but it's a sense that in heaven in the place with many rooms uh, there'll be lots of surprises Mm -hmm. you know that maybe people we expected to be there and people we didn't expect to be there so Mm -hmm. the last battle I found I found very helpful for this that the the way the truth in the life isn't because you present to me in the right way with the right words but that actually as you've just said Fiona that our hearts (laughs) our hearts are turned to Jesus even without the outward form of what we we would describe as being a Christian, yeah,
1: and it, it's it, it takes me back to that story you've told again about the communication with the woman on mm-hmm. on the the alphabet cards. It it feels mm-hmm. that there was something very wordless about that. You know, very definitely the you know it's the reading of the Christian scriptures which seems to provoke that, but there mm-hmm. seems to be just a very profound trust that God has provided the way. Mm-hmm.
2: And the, and there's the thief of the cross as well, isn't yeah. it? So he yeah, it's all Jesus. Yeah. I, I want to be with you today and you will be, says Jesus, because he's mm. the way. And I, and I think my experience of I'm the way, the truth and the life as a younger person, I, I felt it was very constrictive, like there's this narrow path and there's a shut gate that you have to open and go through complicated processes to open it and and the truth that you have to believe this, this and this and this kind of way to know the truth. And then you'll stumble into the life. Because I think I've got to the point, you know, this, this is Jesus on a path who's saying, come on come and join me come and follow me the path is open yes it is the narrow way it's not the way everybody goes Mm -hmm. but it's a path that's open and welcome for all who want to go with jesus and in that walking with jesus we discover the truth because we do we need the truth of what's right and wrong and and it's in that whole process that you're that's real life
1: you're Mm -hmm. with
2: jesus you know his truth and you're living life the way it's meant to be lived it's quite a different perspective from how i i perceived it i think when i was younger it feels
0: like an an inclusive
2: exclusivity, to yeah. me. Yeah, yeah,
1: right. yeah. That's a really, yeah. I really like that.
2: So you need to stay onto the path. That's like.
1: <laughs> yeah, I yeah. reflect on we've we've been thinking about this this summer, haven't we? Because we've all been doing camps, and I, I think you've not been on any camps.
2: No. Yeah, me, me and you, me and been me a Neil. travel
0: leader, Neil. I've been a travel leader and a visitor. Oh, have you? I did
2: a I did a holiday club as well this
1: week. Oh, fantastic! Uh, which one did you? do? I've been
2: swanning about. <laughs>
1: I just I just you did you did camps at Easter didn't you no you know have you not done any this year No. goodness what what an omission um yes the a big thing at camps is that um the well the one I do often it's one night is the commitment night and there's something about that which I think is still really important it's a profoundly moving evening but uh I was talking with you, Fiona, and you said, yeah, I, I have loads of commitment moments in camp because you don't like it all built mm-hmm. onto that one moment. And if you miss the bus, then then tough sort of thing. You've got to wait till mm-hmm. next year. And I really like that. So having you having said that, I then, then introduced a few of them later on. And mm-hmm. <laughs> for extra credibility, I said, well, Fiona Stewart thinks this is a good idea as if that was kind of extra oh weight goodness. for my dodginess. <laughs> she um, doesn't even do camps. <laughs> Yes, you do. <laughs> um, but if, I remember once hearing a very popular children's songwriter uh, do a, a thing at the Armadillo in Glasgow, and they they led people through the prayer, and there were lots of kids there, and um, they said, um, they led people through the prayer, and at the end they said, if you said that prayer and you liked saying it, then just come up at the end and we'll give you a book, and that should become a Christian. I think I think they said that should become a Christian. But they definitely said come up and get a book. And like tons of kids just went forward, and part of me was going you can't do that It's got to be much more prescribed than that it's much more thought through but another part of me thought well maybe that's truer to that sense of jesus i still don't know what i think about that actually yeah,
2: yeah. i have a very i have a very personal personal experience about this because when i was 13 uh, i went to lewis palau crusade it was 1981 at the kelvin hall and my dad had become a christian when i was 11 a uh, Dramatic conversion while watching Ben Hur—that's a story for another time. <laughs> anyway, but our family dynamics completely changed because Dad became a Christian. My mom was a Christian already, um and so he encouraged us to read the Bible. We went to church on Christmas Day. That's my memory as a twelve-year-old. So when I was thirteen, I went to this crusade. And looking back, so much that was done and said, I would really struggle with now as an adult with all these teenagers. Um, you know, things were said like, "If you died tonight." would you be with Jesus in heaven? Um, and we're all like terrified. Mm-hmm. And I had to go behind this screen with these strangers uh, to have a prayer, prayed with me and given a book. And, and and so much of it, I look back and think, I just would do that so differently. I would make responses, you said, Fiona, a natural part of life. And const- we constantly respond to Jesus in different ways. But I can't put away the fact that God did something mm-hmm. for me at 13. And it wasn't that I didn't know I I did know Jesus in that way, but it it pushed me to say yes, this is who I am, and this is who I want to be, and and I and and it's a it's an important memory, an important part of my Christian story. So I I, I just like you Neil, I hold it in kind of tension because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I see all the problems with it, but I also see that it it changed me, yeah, and, and yeah. It, it it made me closer to Jesus. So anything even done. Quite badly um, can bring you closer to Jesus and all that human frailty, and um, it made me who I am with God. So I I think with young people, when I'm working with young people and children, now, I I do give opportunities to respond, but as you know, not constantly, but regularly, and and knowing that you don't have to keep on making that commitment, you just need to keep working out. Where does Jesus want me to go? Am I close to Him? How what could I do to be more like Him?
0: I think that's really helpful, and I think that that's why, you know. You know, we kind of joke there, Neil, about oh, Fiona Stewart says she does this, but I think the danger with being what what we've talked about there that that you know you don't want to put the emphasis so much on that point that that people feel i don't have a conversion story or Mm -hmm. i don't have a moment because it's a discipleship journey yeah that's all really important to know that but i I nonetheless do believe that people do need opportunities to Mm -hmm. to respond yeah yeah they do because it's
2: significant it's like getting your braces off isn't it yeah yeah and it's it should be community as well you need Mm -hmm. you need other people around about you to to go to be with you in that response and to pray for you and to support you no it can be private it's not god's not going to it's not going to be a problem if it's private, but uh-huh. it's good to be together.
1: I think what we're all resisting here is the sense that has been prevalent, and I'll, I'll own it in my own denomination, the Church of Scotland, that that Christian faith was just something that you kind of drifted into, or mm-hmm. was non-relational, or, you know, in this prayer, you know, was, was a kind of adherence to a set of values rather than an actual movement towards Jesus, and and um, what I think the power of these moments of commitment is, is it's a it's a resistance to that form of Christianity, which I think has been problematic, which is just mm. a kind of, oh, well, I suppose I'm a Christian, I, I go to church, that sort uh-huh. of thing, mm. which I think has been hugely harmful to Christian discipleship in Scotland.
2: Yeah, yeah. And there's the other side of that as well, that you have um, young people particularly, but adults who would say that, I've always loved Jesus. Mm -hmm. You know, they've always Mm -hmm. known, they've always had that relationship. They can't Mm -hmm. remember a time when it wasn't the way and it's grown and and developed and they're still walking with Jesus. And I've always, that needs to be encouraged as well. These, these people don't need to be told, Oh no, 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 you need to make a decision. Mm -hmm. You know, they just need to be encouraged in the relationship that they're in. Um,
1: you know, -hmm. my friend, my friend, John has a moment. He would date this, I think as the kind of birth of faith for him, he, he remembers his mother coming to pray with him one night in bed. And I think he can date it because he it was in a house that they only lived in for a certain period of time. So I think he was about six or seven. And John prayed and he prayed something like, dear God, be good to all the good boys and girls and be bad to all the bad boys and girls. And his mother said, John, you need to understand that Jesus came for the bad boys and girls as well and loves them. And John would say that was a deep moment of understanding of him. You know that's grace that's that's Jesus, that's conversion it, that's not that's not going through any formula I've ever read, but it, but Jesus is at the heart of it. and what this what this passage reminds us of is that it's it's Jesus the the allegiance the move towards Jesus who actually beckons mm-hmm. us towards him, that's at the heart of it mm-hmm. rather than any formula
0: so can we can we talk about Jesus as the truth? Can we yep. talk? Can we talk about that in the context of our our world that we live in? Mm. That truth is a a personal thing. It's not a set of truths, is it? That he's he's getting people to adhere to.
1: Yeah, it was it was Gandhi who got me into truth. Um, Gandhi. Sorry, you
0: just sorry, I'm, I'm only laughing because it sounds as though you know like you were at school with him. Or yeah, something. yeah, me and
1: Gandhi. <laughs> um, because I I think I grew up in post modernism where. You know, truth was relative. You tell me your truth, I'll tell me mine. And and Gandhi had this thing called Satya Agraha, which is a Sanskrit for Satyam is truth and Agraha is power. So the power of truth. And Gandhi believed that if you adopted a posture which was profoundly truthful, that had its power and it, it had a power to overcome violence. So for him, it was about the power of nonviolent protest. And I've always... That for me has always been about the the power, the liberative power of absolute truth, which I utterly believe in. Now, I think we have to be humble when we claim to know it. I think that's I think that's the thing, but I think they're there are absolute truth, and it, it points to me of this this whole Jesus. Now, this is going to jump on, but it. But the only way that you can hold to this, I think, is on a non-localized vision of Jesus, of Jesus who is present everywhere. And I think that's one of the profound things that's going on in this chapter, is that Jesus is preparing the disciples for a life with Jesus in which Jesus is going to be everywhere, including within them. And once you have that, then you can hold to the idea that Jesus is all truth and that the deepest truth of things about how we love and that God is here and that the world bends towards justice, a lot of the truths actually that are in Lord of the Rings and Narnia, those things are irrefutable because they are held by Christ.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that, that I, I don't know if this is relevant, but that makes me think as well about the, the number of times he says in this chapter about I am in the Father and the Father is in mm. me. He, he, he brings that up a lot, doesn't he? And, and that was that was making me think about the the localized, you know, the the, the mm. fact that he was sitting in the room with them, yeah, fully human. So the Father is in me, but but I am in the Father. So that so there's the he's also holding all things together.
1: Yes, and in the I same think, moment he's fully yeah. divine. Uh, yeah, it's the yeah. So he's also doing it at that point, isn't he? He's as yeah. the as the 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 historic pre Easter Jesus still saying, "I hold all things together," which is. Which makes sense because if you think of it, if if we believe that in in the word all things hold together as Colossians says in Christ, it's not like for the thirty years of the incarnation Jesus stopped doing that. You know, he he still piled yeah. on, and there are moments like that when he calms the storm and and people perceive that. But but you're right. He's saying this intimacy is now intimacy is such a a theme. I actually think the way into this passage is actually the intimacy of um, Mary. Uh, washing the feet in in chapter 12 and then jesus washing the feet in chapter uh, 13 anointing the feet anointing yes sorry anointing in 12 yeah. Um, Yeah. that this deep intimacy so we we first of all jesus in verse 11 says the father is in me and i am in the father and then in verse 17 says that the spirit the advocate will be in you um and then in 20 jesus says i'll be in the disciples and then verse 23 says the father and me will be in you there's all this mutual sense of inness that people have
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah and the, the answer that he gives to philip just after i'm the way the truth and the life he says don't you know me philip even after i have been among you such a long time and it's in that knowing of jesus that we discover the truth that he is and become the people that he wants us to be and i always prickle a wee bit when i hear people saying to children after an event or a church service what what did you learn about Jesus today, or what did what do you know now? As I mean, yeah, there's things we need to know. I mean, you know, I, I appreciate that, but you know, how did you get to know Jesus better? It would sound a bit awkward, wouldn't it? But really, that's at the heart of it. That's what we're all trying to do: <laughs> is 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 know Jesus more, not know about him.
1: I wonder if that. I'm just having a thought that I've. I've actually, for some reasons, I actually find this a very difficult summer as well. And I have felt that I've had to cling to Jesus like, like never before. And I realized that it connects with the thing right at the start where it says, let not your heart be troubled. Mm-hmm. I, I think very often we come to know Jesus at the point where our hearts are troubled, disturbed by what appears to be happening in us in the world. And then we move towards Christ and learn to trust in him. And those are very, very glib words and easy to say, but that dynamic of moving from trouble into really believing that Jesus is with me now—that—that—that—that's the answer to the question. You know, what did you learn about Jesus? How did you come to know Jesus today? It's in constantly moving to that dynamic.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting you say that because we were, again we were talking before we started today. That, that I I kind of approached this chapter thinking. <sighs> Right, deep breath. We're going into these fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, yeah. seventeen chapters that are, you know, they're they're pretty hard going. I I always find it hard to distinguish where different things are said. I you know I I, I kind of know the proof text that fourteen six is the way the truth and the life, but but the rest of it all just feels quite hard to get your head into. But I was saying when I was preparing for this, I I really felt a fresh encounter actually with God in all His Trinitarian, Trinitarian form actually, so Father, Son, Spirit because I think because I delved into it a, a bit I, I don't know I don't know what I'm saying in response to what you're saying there, but I, th- I think it's the you know sometimes we can sort of think oh gosh John 14 I'll not go and read that because that feels quite heavy theology to think about but actually there is there's relationship even in in the reading of this chapter and really spending time in it.
1: I think I think that's what it's it's all about the it's I was trying to think, I was trying to do what you do where you summarise things. It didn't get to, <laughs> didn't get to your level. Um, it's hard work. And, uh, I'm beginning to regret I'd start oh really, really, you kind of <laughs> set a bar you have to jump over. But it's that sense of, what's this chapter about? It's about Jesus saying, after I'm gone, I'll still be here. And this is what it's going to look like. You're going to love. You're going to do greater things. The paraclete's going to be with you. The father's going to be in you. And it's, what it made me think of was Anna and I were in Paris over the the summer and we couldn't get into the Louvre because the queues are massive. So just Mm -hmm. tip for nothing, book if you're going to go to the Louvre. And instead we went to, just up the road, there's a place called the Orangery and it has the the lilies of money. Uh, And I hadn't realized that money's lilies he'd intended them they're huge canvases and he had intended them to be in two oval rooms which was to be the sign of infinity and what you do is you go in to these two rooms and you're just surrounded by these colors which are lilies and pond and light and it's really moving you're just moved by being immersed and there's something about that, that they're deliberately um diffuse the the forms of them are, are not clear and yet you're immersed in this world of colour and of life and of beauty and that's what John 14 15 and 16 feel to me they feel like being immersed in this place of Jesus and all the forms merge and it's love and it's the father in me and I in you and the paraclete and peace be with you all these things feel like they surround you and pull you into another world and Jesus is saying this is what it's going to be like when I'm gone
0: and that feels really interesting, doesn't it? Because what what an impressionist painter is doing is trying to capture light. That's the thing of impressionism, isn't it? That it's uh, that just yeah, because light you can't paint light. Yeah, yeah <laughs> you can only yeah. paint the the effect the
2: effect that light mm-hmm. has. And
1: yeah, there's some kind of mystery there, isn't there?
2: There's mystery there. Yeah, but this is the light right there in the room. Yeah, we have the mm-hmm. reflection of the mm-hmm. recount the. Accounting of that conversation, Mm -hmm. what a privilege!
0: Mm -hmm. So we've you've you've used the word paraclete.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, So this is
0: not
2: everybody might know what that means.
1: (laughs) I don't think anybody knows what it means.
2: (laughs) We We had lots of parakeets when I was a child.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know it's an unusual word, doesn't it? It um, so the word paraclete, uh, first I think it is the first time it appears in John's Gospel, it appears in verse 16, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. There's lots of discussion about what, what the word advocate means, but I, I think it's suggesting that the work of the, the advocate, which is in Greek here is paraclete, continues the work of Jesus. So I think Jesus is saying, I also was a paraclete, I was one beside you and paraclete literally means alongside para and cleat, one who's called alongside and a, the the technical term means a, an advocate who goes with you to court so they're the one who who goes and pleads your case um i i this is maybe a controversial view i i get overly worried when we use overly courtroom metaphors for god because it makes the whole christian life feel like going to court and i think that's such a awful experience i don't (laughs) want to
0: well do you want to know what tom wright says because i I, this phrase really jumped out at me when i was reading this he says that the the holy spirit is like one who is constantly bringing our plight to the attention of the father Mm. Mm. so you know an advocate brings the plight of, of their client to the judge yeah, I thought that was quite beautiful. Yeah, I love it constantly. Plead- you're pleading their cause, co- and it was the constant. I was like, "Oh gosh, that really, in the current c- global climate, that feels really quite significant that there is one who is constantly bringing our plight."
1: What I, what I do like about that image having issued courtroom metaphors, I think the problem is <laughs> not courtroom metaphors; it's the problem is when that becomes the dominant metaphor. Yes, yeah, uh, because then God becomes like one of these distant judges. Yes, um, but. The defence lawyers are always asked the question, "Would you defend someone you knew to be guilty?" And mm. pretty much, defence lawyers will always say, "Yes, I will," because that's the that's the job of justice. And I mean, I, not
0: if they tell you they're guilty. Just FYI.
1: But is that right?
0: I think that's right. I don't think you can. Well,
1: but but this is the advocate who pleads for us, even when we're guilty. I do mm. like that idea.
0: And. it also links to another question i had which was about the greater things when jesus says you will do greater things and i've always found that a wee bit troublesome Mm. verse i've Mm -hmm. heard it spoken of in terms of you know we'll have greater ability to do more miracles not walking in water and turning walking in water and feeding you know (laughs) feeding six
2: thousand people um Jen, you, you were yeah, going to say something on that. Exactly, exactly how I came to it when I was reading it. And I was reading a commentary on, on these verses and it, it invited the reader to look at the book of Acts and the early church. And it totally changed my perspective because, of course, when Jesus went away to heaven and the Holy Spirit came, um, it, it was greater in the sense that th- so many more people Uh, then knew of jesus and could get to know jesus so the disciples are filled with jesus they tell other people they are filled with jesus they go out and out and out and so thousands and thousands of years later here we are sitting in scotland and we have jesus with us because somebody told us and we and we met jesus and so that for me that was a really helpful picture of um us doing greater things because jesus is here with us by his spirit and at the holiday club on Monday and Tuesday that I was at, um I talked the last podcast about the amazing questions that was at the SU Holiday, but this church holiday club, I'm getting amazing questions. And one of the young children said to me, this P one to sevens, um, why didn't Jesus just stay longer? Like why why did why did he go back to heaven? Why didn't he just hang about? And there's a real attraction in that, isn't it? You could think, oh, well, it wouldn't be great if Jesus turned up at your house one day. You know? You could book him in for a couple of months in advance and you could see him. But that's really limiting because it's not, he could only be in one place at one time, but now Jesus is everywhere for everybody, for all people. All, uh, yeah. So that, a good question from a child again.
1: One of the things that provokes in me, Jen and Fiona, is that on this year's holiday club, and I, I realise, Fiona, you haven't been to any holiday clubs yet this year. i <laughs> sorry about that. Can you fit one in between now and the end of the year? Is that possible <laughs> for for the, the benefit of, to do it, for Neil. the benefit of <laughs> listeners? You cannot see the face that Fiona just pulled just then.
0: I don't know. I just don't. I, yeah. Anyway. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Um, I so this was the first camp I'd done in three years. I could not believe the number of questions that these people, these young people, asked. I said these people I made mean, them sound bad. These uh, people. These people. <laughs> um, but it was just question after question after question. You know, are Neanderthals saved? You know, what? Why did? Mm. Why did God make the? Oh, it, was, it was some kind of parasite. You know, question after question. So in the end, what we did was we had a session, we had a question session, and it was brilliant. I loved it. And yeah, we had one of them as well. Did you? Yeah. yeah, it's great. When I... we
2: did, yeah, sorry, when we no, were you... doing, I am the way, the truth, and the life, because uh-huh. we were doing the I am's. Uh-huh. So we got to I am the way and the truth and life. It was just all questions.
1: And what kind of questions did they ask?
2: Well, that one. Why didn't Jesus hang about? um Did were the monkeys there before people? um Oh, what else? Um, A lot of science does ones. Jesus, does, does God ever give up on people? Uh-huh. That was a good one this week. Oh, there were so many, I can't remember more. I should have had them in front of me. So
1: good. <laughs> but what, what, it, what it makes me think is that, I hadn't realised this until you pointed out at the start, Fiona, that this is all based on questions, John 14. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that questions are such an important place for the nourishment of faith.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And I, I perhaps was slightly conscious, I was worried that the camp I was at, that, that sometimes adults look back on their experience of going to Christian camps or assemblies as a negative, they, they look back and they felt, you know, were we abused there? Were, did people take advantage mm. of us? And we am mm-hmm. sure we've all heard stories from people who are now atheists who recount a story like that. Um, and I, I remember the camp I was at one year, a very well-known Hollywood film actor, um, once went to this particular camp I was at, and years later he was contacted to ask to give his memories and it all he, it was actually in an interview, he just talked about this experience of being brainwashed. So that's always lived with me. Mm-hmm. And um, the, uh, so I said to the young people in the question center, question session, I said, please, 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 in 30, 40 years time, remember this session and remember that we said that asking questions was a key part of yeah. faith. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Yes, because that comes through in this chapter, doesn't it? That, that these guys are unafraid to ask what we perceive as quite obvious questions. So Thomas is once again, isn't he? Boom, straight in. We don't know. And then it, with Philip as well, you know, show us the father and and that'll be enough for us. It's not really a question, is it? But it's, it's a, it's a, a demand. And Jesus then, then comes in and answers that. And then the, the why did you intend to show us, show yourself to us and not to the world? They're not afraid to yeah. say, wait, I don't get that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Explain a bit more. Um, we're we reaching the end of, of the conversation. We, we 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 left the rooms in the house, and the preparing a place at the very beginning. And I said we'd come back to that. Um, Neil, you were talking before we began about betrothal metaphor.
1: Yeah, one of the one of the speculations is that this passage borrows language from when a Jewish bridegroom would go to the house of the person that he wanted to get married to and he would come with all his friends go to the house and they would sit down and they would have this act of betrothal which is stronger than engagement Mm -hmm. and getting ready for marriage and they would say you know I'll go and prepare a place for you I'm now going to go back home and I'm going to get our marriage home ready and it does appear that there are bits of language here that might come from that context so um where um Jesus says, um, where I'm going now, you cannot come with me, but you will come with me later on. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. That sounds something like a bridegroom might say, looking forward to the moment of marriage. Or later on, Jesus says, those who love me will keep my word and my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. And in a sense, it doesn't really matter how accurate that that is. I think that's a very helpful picture of the intimacy of, and love that lie behind this passage of jesus the father and the son saying to the bride come and be with us we want to live with you Mm -hmm. we love you and we're we're going to love together i love that
0: I, I find that more helpful than the idea of mansions. So you so oh, yes. often stress into mansions, which to me is, is a bit off-putting. Yeah. Do you know, it feels a bit grand and a bit... Whereas the idea of coming home is, is many <laughs> yeah. many rooms.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, many rooms. And also, well, N.T. Wright dwells on this quite a lot because um, he wants to t- probably rightly talk about the potential idea that this is a temporary place of dwelling. That doesn't sound that great either. You know, I'm going to go and uh-huh. take you to your Airbnb. You know, it doesn't <laughs> you know tom right it's just a temporary place you know it sounds so diminishing now i know he doesn't mean it that way he also uses paradise for the same concept but <laughs> but no i, I agree it, in that context it feels like come come
2: yeah
1: and we will live and we will love together
2: and it's the people you're with isn't it not the physical building yeah mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. that make you feel at home Yes, uh, and maybe that—that's what comes across in these words. Isn't
1: it? Maybe there are some people who hear this like real property types. They go, "Mansions, yes, I can't <laughs> wait."
0: I mean, I think that's why it's such a prevalent idea mm-hmm. that we we all think of, oh, a mansion. That'd mansion. Be nice people, people, people d- dwell on that. Don't dwell haha, on that um, <laughs> idea. Oh, I'm going to get a nice mansion? Did you just in laugh the sky? at your own pun. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Yes, I did. I've had all this time this summer, but I've not been at camps to dwell on my own puns. Where <laughs> are you I'm, today?
1: I'm not at camp.
0: <laughs> I'm simply working on my punning. Right. Um, good. Well, that has been a really interesting conversation. As ever, people, please do contact us with further questions, thoughts, comments, outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org if you want to do that. Now, before uh, Jen gives us a gem, what are your takeaways today?
1: For me, it's that story, the two stories you told at the very start, which are about connecting with Jesus, the one of um, your Muslim neighbour who loved Jesus, and Jen's story of the woman coming towards the end of her life and being deeply moved by this passage.
2: I think I think mine is um, when Jesus says to Philip, don't you know me? Mm. And I wonder how often Jesus asks me that, and maybe I don't even hear him asking it, <laughs> and that longing to know him better in every situation.
0: Yeah, that's great. Mine is mine is the, the pleading, the, the pleading my plight. Mm. The, the just reminder of what the Holy Spirit is, is doing. Mm. Not only as, as the one who's within me, but also is is um, pleading my cause before the God of justice. Mm. Um
2: great Jen, what is your gem? In today's gem I would like to tell the story of two superheroes. Spider-Man and Batman. Now, they're both very different superheroes. Batman is a superhero because of what happened to him as a child, and he's committed to serving as a superhero, and he does that in his own strength. So he gets his Bat-belt, he gets his Bat-copter, he gets his Batmobile, and with all these gadgets, he manages to fight evil. Then you've got Spider-Man, who has been bitten by a radioactive spider, and his DNA is being transformed. He's becoming more and more spider-like. And in that transformation, he's able to fight evil. And this chapter in John, John chapter 14, is so full of the Holy Spirit. It reminded me of this story because we need to be like Spider-Man and we need to encourage our young people and children to be like Spider-Man. And I think there's often a risk, and I've done it often myself, to turn the Bible into a story of morality and to encourage each other, including our young people, to be good and to try hard and to make a difference by what we do. But really what we're about is encouraging each other to become more and more like Jesus. And as Jesus shows us in this chapter, the only way that happens is by the Holy Spirit living in our lives, God in us, us being at home with God, with the Father, with Jesus. And in that, we become more and more like Jesus. And that's what the church is for. The church is for us to encourage each other to be transformed all the way through our lives. Gen, that's my gem, Jen. Your gem's always good, but
0: I think that might be the best yet.
2: Well, I have. If you've ever been to a conference when I've done a seminar, you might have heard the Spider-Man Batman analogy, but it's a good one.
1: I love I've,
0: that. I've never. Yeah, that's really good.
1: I've, I've been reading a thing about um, the need to avoid the God who demands performance, hmm. and the, and that really fits with that.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I think
2: I think you. There's and also the thing. idea
0: that, that, that you know the the, the spiders stuff venom is in his dna it's not Mm. just in him
2: Mm. but it's actually is him forming him yeah Mm -hmm. and i I think youth ministry in itself has gone through a process where i think in the 90s when i was starting off doing youth ministry um it was all about what you could get you know your Mm. gadgets as well it's not just about individuals but our actual youth ministry needs to be about becoming more like jesus and um, not just having all the good stuff and i think we've moved from that which is an encouragement i think we are yeah. much more about relation fantastic good
0: lovely well listen thank you very much to both of you uh listeners don't forget let us know your thoughts email us outspoken at Society.org or uh, contact us in, in other ways as you see fit but until we three meet again see what i did there it's trinitarian um goodbye <laughs> <laughs>